0: Thank you for listening to our podcast, Church of the Well, is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Well, as Abby mentioned, we're heading into the final week of Lent this week, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Lent, or, or Lent is new to you, Lent is a season on the church calendar. It's 40 weekdays not including the weekends, 40 weekdays leading up to Easter, where we practice reflection and repentance. And there are three primary practices, or there are three main things that that people focus on during Lent. The first one is prayer-centered around repentance and God's forgiveness. The second thing that that people focus on during Lent is, is fasting. You might have heard that term before. It essentially just means giving up things as a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then third, showing charity, showing generosity to others as a response to that sacrifice. And so these, there's, there's lots of practices that people do and have done in church history th- through Lent, but these are the three primary practices of Lent. And one of the ways that our church has been observing Lent is, this year is by preaching a sermon series on the life of David in the Old Testament. And we're ending that sermon series today because this is the last Sunday of Lent. We're ending that sermon series today by looking at a story of David where he runs into all three of these things, repentance, sacrifice, and charity. All three of these things are going to intersect in this story we're going to look at. Now, I have to tell you from the start of this story that this is not one of my favorite stories. And in fact, um, I don't like it very much. (laughs) In some ways, it's problematic for me in my understanding of God. And you're probably thinking, then why on earth are you preaching this story? And I'll say this. I've learned over the years that I can't skip over the parts of the Bible that I don't fully understand. I can't gloss over sections of Scripture that are are uncomfortable to me. Because the moment I do that, I run the risk of creating a God made in my own image. Right? So I have to leave space. I have to leave room for passages of Scripture that I wrestle with passages of scripture that I might not fully understand and approach them with open mind and open heart because God's thoughts aren't always my thoughts, right? So are you ready to look at this story with me today? It's the last story we're going to cover in David. It's, it's, it's toward the end of his life. And we're going to read this story today from First Chronicles chapter 21. And You've noticed the last few weeks that we've been looking at stories of repentance, of David's repentance, of how he turned away from God and then turned toward back, God, toward back to God. And this story that we're going to look at, once again, David drifts away from God, and he has to find his way back to him. And I've said this in previous weeks, but I'm grateful that Scripture doesn't just record David's success stories. I love that it records his failures, It's strangely comforting to me, it's encouraging to me, because it reminds me that when I drift away from God, I can find my way back to Him too. And the story we're gonna read is 1 Chronicles chapter 21. We'll read the first couple verses here, starting in verse one. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So David sent to Joab and the commanders of the army Take a census of all the people of Israel, from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north, and bring me a report, so I may know how many there are. Verse 3. But Joab replied, May the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my lord the king, do you want to do this? Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? What a weird start to a story, right? Because what's wrong with a census? as Satan, it says, rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census. He tempted David to take the census. And and Joab, the best general that David had, says, to Why are you doing this? This is causing the nation to sin. Why are you taking a census? So the first question we have to ask ourselves when we're reading this story, this passage, is what's what's the deal? What is so wrong about a census, and why is Joab so upset that David's taking the census? We know that, that many census were taken throughout Old Testament history. We read that in Scripture. In fact, in the book of Exodus, we find God telling Moses to take a census. And, and God tells Moses, when you take the census, make sure each person that's counted gives half a shekel as a ransom to the Lord. And half a shekel is just a real small amount of money. Um, and it was to be given as, as a ransom to the Lord, and it was used primarily for upkeep of the tabernacle. It was like a temple tax, right? In Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, it says this. Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each person who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. What is with that? <laughs> Wait a second. Count the people. They give a shekel. That way, no plague will come. Okay? That's strange. Um We'll come back to that in, in, in a few minutes when we dive deeper into this story. But this half shekel payment was a small token, it was, it was to be a small gesture to remind the people that they belong to God. Because in, in the ancient world, whenever something was counted or numbered, it was signifying that it belonged to someone, right? And so the census was a way to remind. People that they belong to God and that he was looking after them. He was looking out for them. Uh, but David's census, we're told here, is not for that reason. He, his census was issued for a different reason altogether. And we're not explicitly told the reason, but we can guess. Right? Probably th- the reason David did this census is he wanted to measure his own military might, his own power, Perhaps he was thinking about conquests and and war. We don't really know. We're just left to guess. It's conjecture. But we know that the reason um, didn't sit well with God. And David's approach to this bothered his closest advisors. Even his general challenges on it and says, why are you doing this? And so it's likely coming from from a place of authoritarianism, likely coming from a place of pride. And later on, after the census was finished, David himself recognizes this, that his motives were wrong and that he's acting out of sinful pride. And in in verse 8 of this same chapter, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 8, Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Now, it would be great if this was the end of the story. We could be like, yeah, okay, great story. David repents. On to the next good story about David. Uh, but the story doesn't end here. And, and here's where the story gets complex. It would be great if, if, okay, David took the census out of pride. He was thinking of going to war, but, but he saw his, his, his sinful pride and, and, and he repented before God. Oh, what a great story. And it would be if it ended there. <laughs> but it keeps going. And this is where the part that gets troubling. Are you ready for this? First Ch- Chronicles chapter 21, verse 9. Have you ever read passages of Scripture that are troubling? If you haven't, it's just because you haven't read the Bible enough. <laughs> if you keep reading the Bible, you're going to find lots of those. <laughs> Which is why we're looking at this today. First Chronicles 21, verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I'll give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict it on you. Hmm. Verse 11. So Gad came to David and said, these are the choices the Lord has given you. You may choose three years of famine, three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies, or three days of severe plague, as the angel of the Lord brings devastation throughout the land of Israel. Decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. What is this? I told you, if you read the Bible long enough, you're gonna find stuff like this. Passages that are complex and difficult. And as a pastor, I'm supposed to have all of these answers for you. So what is with this? I don't know. (laughs) I don't fully understand it. I don't like it much either. it paints a portrait of God that, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And now you're probably going to fire me as your pastor. But if you're honest, you are already looking into chat GPT replacing me. So <laughs> I'm going to go for this. The, the story gets even more troubling because here's what happens next. David chooses. chooses a plague. 70,000 people die in this plague. And then we're told that a death angel... Comes to Jerusalem, and David sees the angel, and he puts on him and his leaders put on burlap. Do you know what burlap is? It, it, another Bible word for that is sackcloth. It's really just like a, a itchy, scratchy, uncomfortable garment that you wore. And, and it was a way for people back in the ancient world to, to demonstrate repentance. And so David is so distressed by this death angel that he puts on sackcloth and he falls to his knees to pray. Now, I have to tell you, I'm uncomfortable with all this, right? It paints a portrait of God that, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I know that God warned them in Exodus 30 about the ramifications of taking a census the wrong way for the wrong reason. I understand that people's choices have ramifications, right? We see this in our world all over the place, that one person's choice, one person's decision doesn't usually just affect that person it has a ripple effect right that choices and decisions we make um, in our sin has consequences and, and it often creates a ripple effect I understand that leaders of countries and nations make decisions that impact all kinds of innocent people's lives I get all that I get all that but this is a hard story for me to swallow and it is for David too because in verse 17 of the same chapter, listen to what David does. First Chronicles 21, 17. And David said to God, I'm the one who called for the census. I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? O oh Lord my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. So David doesn't fully understand this either. And, and again, this is a pretty confusing portrait of God, isn't it? It doesn't feel fair. We, we understand how one person's choices affect the well-being of others. We see that time and again in our lives and in, in history and scripture. Uh, but it doesn't make it less difficult. Well, let me say this. A.W. Tozer, who is a pastor um, a, an author and a theologian, he said this, that that what you and I believe about God is the most important thing about us. And what he means by that is that what we think about God is is the most important thing about us because it informs the way we live. It informs our relationship with Him. it It informs our relationship with other people. Whatever we think about God and who He is is the most important thing about us. And That's why when we read passages like this, we have to be be careful. We have to to come to passages like this, and instead of running quickly to villainizing God, it can be really helpful to look at the entirety of Scripture and how God's revealed. And one of the ways we do this in theological circles, you know what theology means? It just means the study of God. And so when I say theological, I'm, Circle. I'm talking about a, a camp, a, a group of people that, that have a certain theology. And, and, and there's, a, there's a theology called Christocentric theology. You've probably never heard that term before. But if you, if you know that theology is the study of God and Christocentric means Christ-centered, Christocentric theology simply means using Christ as the center for our study of God. And, and it means this, that, that we have to interpret Scripture in light of the full final revelation of God in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. We have to interpret scripture in light of the full and final revelation of God in Jesus. You did not know you were coming to a Bible college class today, did you? (laughs) The book of Hebrews says that this way, that Jesus is the express image of God. He's the express image of God, which, which means this. If we if you and I really want to know who God is, then we have to start with Jesus and work our way from there. Right? And so we we come to passages of scripture that, that sometimes can feel complex and complicated and, and we don't know what to do with them. That's where Christocentric theology comes in handy, where we start, you no. Know, The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the express image of God. So all the revelation I have of God in the Old Testament is good. It's helpful. But Jesus is the express image. So I have to start with Jesus and work my way back, work my way from there. And that can be really helpful for for passages like these, because everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And you might be thinking, how on earth does this weird story about David in this census point to Jesus? Jesus. If you're not wondering that, I want to get you to wonder that. <laughs> How does it point to Jesus? Um, let me give you an example. A few verses later in this story, in David's story, what we find is the, you know, the death angel is coming to Jerusalem. David sees the angel. He puts on sackcloth and burlap. He, he, he repents before the Lord. And then a few verses later, we find David, he's offering to, to buy a piece of land So that he can build an altar and make a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of the people. He's distraught that his people are struggling with the sickness and death, and he wants to do anything he can to stop it. And so he offers to buy this piece of land to make this sacrifice. And the, the owner of the land offers to give it to David free of charge. He knows the seriousness of, of the situation, what David's about to do. And he's, David, just take the land. You can have it. Build whatever you, you need to build. It's yours. And David refuses the man's charity. He, he says, no, I insist on paying full price for the land. And then he says this, which this famous quote, which we've, we've heard probably in church before. I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. In other words, David is saying, no, I am, thank you for your charity, but no, I'm going to pay the full price for this. And the way this points to Jesus is when we look at Jesus in the New Testament, we see this same posture, the same position uh, that when he went to the cross on our behalf, right? We read in the Gospels how Jesus, when he started his ministry, he went into the wilderness and, and we're told that Satan tempted him there. And he said to Jesus, I'll give you everything, the whole world, everything will be yours if, if you just fall down and worship. And, and three times Satan tempts Jesus, and Jesus says, No, I have a different path. I'm going to pay the price full. And so Jesus goes the full distance to the cross. He, he's, he's, his heart is set, he's steadfast. On redeeming us and all of creation. And what we find is, is not only was Jesus willing to offer a sacrifice, but he's willing to become the sacrifice. So that once and for all, sin and death can be defeated and conquered. Which is why on Good Friday, as Abby was announcing our Good Friday collaborative service coming up this Friday, That's why Good Friday, the day we observe the crucifixion, is such an important day in the Lenten season because it, it creates space and it makes room for us to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, what he did on the cross, how he defeated sin and death, how he rescued us from their grip, how he redeemed all of creation and reconciled us with God. Right? To put an end to sin and death once and for all. And so this story that we read about David, as crazy as it it reads, points to Jesus. And so what are we supposed to do? How do we take this and apply it to our lives now? This story of David. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon that this story involves three things. Repentance, sacrifice, and, and charity. All things that we focus on during Lent. This is the last week of Lent that we're headed into. And so since we're heading into the final week of Lent, I want to submit three questions for you to consider today. And this is how I'll wrap up my time with you. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read these questions first out loud, and then we're going to do something very Lenty, And that's create a little space of discomfort. We're going to have two full minutes of silence with these questions. And, and, and you say, that doesn't sound bad. If you've not done two minutes of silence before in a room full of people, you're going to about to find out how uncomfortable that is. But that's okay because Lent is a little, supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable. Right? So we're going to sit with these questions for two minutes after I read them. And then I'm going to pray for us. And the worship band's going to come up and lead us in a final song. And I want to invite you just to sit in silence with these questions. And just consider them. Okay? So let's read these questions. Number one. Is there anything I need to confess to the Lord and repent of? Two, what could I sacrifice or give up this week to remind me of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? And then three, what is one way I can show charity to someone this week with my money or time as a response to Jesus' sacrifice? Okay, let's sit with these for two minutes, and I'll come back up and and close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just take this moment to pause, to say la, to stop, to to stop our our souls, our our bodies, our busyness, to reflect and, and to repent. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. And you see directly into our hearts the things we need to let go of and repent, the things that we need to receive from you. So, Lord, I pray for all my friends here as we're heading into our, our final week of the Lent season. God, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to continue to walk in repentance. Continue to, to help us, um, give us the courage to explore our own hearts, to confess our sin to you. Lord, to also, to, to, to sacrifice, to give up things, to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus paid once and for all, on our behalf. And then, Lord, would you also take our heavy burden and give us your burden, which is light, and, and, and in that burden, give us someone, someplace, something that we can show charity as a response to the sacrifice that Christ paid. Lord, as we head into our final week of Lent, up to Easter, help us to hold... Um, suffering and celebration together in the same hands. I pray for all my friends now who are in a place of struggle and suffering. Lord, would you encourage them, even as we sing this last song, would your Holy Spirit just breathe life into them, encouragement into them, hope into them, as we continue to follow in the footsteps of Jesus this week and and, and carry our cross, knowing, God, that you are the God who also resurrects and brings to life So we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't we stand and we'll sing together. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.